the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Herod isn't the only one who's ever turned away from doing what's right simply because he cared about what others thought of him. See, those who have hardened hearts towards unbelief are filled with an attitude of pride that is so fearful of what other people think about them that they will let that dictate their actions. Welcome to the final verse-by-verse Bible study on the life of wicked Herod, the Tetrarch. Pastor Steve Kreloff wraps up our series of studies on the parables, the rejection of Christ at Nazareth, and the murder of John the Baptist with this program. Thank you for being here. Without further delay, here is Pastor Steve with our study. The second element of Herod's unbelief was that not only did he have a guilty conscience that refused to seek divine forgiveness, he also had a fear of people that dictated his sinful actions. He had a fear of people that dictated his behavior. His behavior, in other words, was not dictated by what was right or wrong or principle, It was by his fear of people. Notice verses 3 through 5. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. And with these verses, Matthew actually takes us back in time seeing us back in time in order to explain to us the event that led to John being arrested and then later killed. This is how John ended up in prison. He tells us that Herod had John arrested, bound in prison on account of his wife, whose name was Herodias. Now, notice in verse 3 that Matthew doesn't actually call her. He identifies Herodias not as Herod's wife, but rather as the wife of his brother Philip. This is by design. He has purposely said that. Because in God's eyes, she was not his wife. I will call her his wife only to communicate to you, but the inspired writer calls her the wife of your brother Philip. That's significant. See, Herod was such an evil and shameless man that he had actually married this woman, Herodias, even though... She had first been married to his brother, actually his half-brother, named Philip. Listen to how New Testament scholar Leon Morris, in his very excellent commentary on Matthew, explains the tangled web of wickedness behind Herod and Herodias' relationship. I realize it's difficult to follow. It, It is so tangled you go, what? But let me read it to you, and then we'll highlight what you need to know about this. Speaking of Herodias, here's what Leon Morris has written. This lady was a granddaughter of Herod the Great, being the daughter of his son, Aristobulus. She married her uncle, Herod Philip, 
who was half-brother to Herod Antipas. That's the Herod of the story. Herod Philip and Herodias had a daughter, Salome. Herod Antipas married a Nabataean princess, the daughter of King Aratas, but he and Herodias fell in love. They agreed to marry, and Herodias left Herod's half-brother, Herod Philip, and then Leon Morris adds, as Matthew says, she was the wife of his brother Philip. She was also his niece. The daughter of Aratas got wind of what was happening and fled to her father, who promptly went to war with Herod and defeated him, which provoked Roman intervention. It was a tangled and complex situation, but what is clear is that the marriage of Herod Antipas and Herodias was contrary to Old Testament law. That would be Leviticus 18, verse 16, and Leviticus 20, verse 21. Now, you got all that, right? I know it's confusing. I know the story is not easy to follow, but what you need to understand is simply this, that in marrying Herod and marrying his brother's wife, who was also his niece, It was incestuous, it was adulterous, and it was a direct violation of the Old Testament law. No wonder this man, Herod, had a guilty conscience. He'd been sinning against the light for years. He knew this was wrong. He said he was a convert to Judaism, so not only would his conscience tell him it's wrong, but he should have known something enough of the Old Testament to know it's wrong. He just had a long history of sinning against the light. And that's why we read in verse 4 that when John the Baptist heard about this, this, this marriage, he rebuked Herod. Now, on what occasion did this actually take place? We're not told. How did John get an audience with Herod? We're not told. Perhaps Herod, only a thought, out of curiosity, invited John to his palace, but we don't know for sure. But regardless of how John received an audience with the Tetrarch, he took the opportunity to rebuke him. He rebuked the leader leader of his region, for having a relationship with Herodias that was both lewd and unlawful. Now, remember, John was a courageous man, a bold man, a godly man. This man wasn't afraid to confront anyone. This is the man that prior to this had told the Jewish religious leaders, he called them a brood of vipers, and he didn't say it behind their face. He told them right to their faces. And now he's denouncing the man that Rome has put in charge of the region that you live in, and he's calling him an incestuous adulterer. And according to the way Mark's gospel words it, it appears that John rebuked Herod on more than one occasion. He told him this many times. And that's the reason that Herod had John arrested, because in denouncing him, he was also denouncing Herodias. And according to Mark's gospel, it was Herodias who held a grudge against John for insulting her, and she was so offended by by this that she wanted her husband. She wanted Herod to put him to death for this. But Matthew tells us that Herod didn't put John to death for this. He only had him arrested and imprisoned. And the question is, why? I mean, you insult Herod. You call him an adulterer. You call him an an incestuous man. Your wife is is pleading with you to kill this guy, and Herod doesn't, doesn't do it. Why? Why did Herod tolerate John's scathing rebuke? Why? Well, Matthew verse 5 tells us, although Herod wanted to put him to death, originally it was his intent to put him to death, but he didn't. Why? Because he feared the crowd. It's the only reason he didn't do it. He feared the crowd since they, meaning the multitudes of Jewish people, they regarded John as a prophet. In other words, Herod was afraid of the Jewish people 
and their reaction if he killed John. And I take it what, what we're being told here is that Herod was afraid that if he killed John, who the people all considered a prophet, they'd rise up in rebellion. They'd revolt against him. If Rome heard about that, he's in big trouble, big trouble. And so Herod, out of fear for his life, his position, what he did is he simply put John in prison and kept him there for about a year. You see, as courageous as John the Baptist was, Herod was just as fearful. The other ends of, of the spectrum here, just as fearful. In fact, Herod was a man, this is not isolated, he was dominated by his fears. They dictated his actions. Let me show you the role that fear played in the decisions that this man made. We know from, from what Matthew tells us here that Herod feared the multitude of rebelling against him, but in Mark's gospel, we learn that Herod was also afraid of John himself. Let me show you this. If you look back at Mark chapter 6, again, we read in verses 19 and 20 something very interesting. In verse 19, we read, Herodias had a grudge against him, that is against John, and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John. Notice this, he was afraid of John. Now the tune has changed. When Herod first had him arrested, he didn't kill John because he was afraid of the people. Some time has passed now, and Herod is not only afraid of what the people would do, he's afraid of John. He was afraid of John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe, meaning he kept him safe in a dingy dungeon. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. So apparently, Herod has changed his tune about John. He's invited John to speak to him, apparently on several occasions, and he's fascinated by John. My guess is he had come now to um, respect John, even though Herod is still a wicked man, didn't listen to what John had to say. But he's come to respect him, fascinated by him, because probably John was the only one who ever told Herod the truth. Nobody else would, because Herod would have them killed. So they all just kowtowed to whatever Herod said, lied to him. He probably knew, I could count on this man, even though I don't like what he's saying, I can count on this man to tell me the truth. And so we read in Mark's gospel, Herod's now afraid of John himself. He's fascinated by him, but he's afraid of him because he knows he's righteous and holy. He doesn't want to kill him. Initially, he wanted to kill him. Now he doesn't want to kill him because he's afraid of him. So based on what we, we know about John's character, it, it seems certain that, that the times that John was able to speak to Herod, he must have continued to preach the necessity of repentance, Herod's need for salvation, but didn't do any good in Herod's life. And the important thing to keep in mind in understanding about Herod's character makeup is that here was a man who never acted out of principle. Here was a man who acted based on what other people would say, other people would think of him. Never did what was right or wrong based on what was right or wrong. He was a man who allowed the fear of people to dictate his actions. He's what we would call a pragmatist. A pragmatist does whatever is practical, whatever works, whatever benefits himself. That, that, was, that was this man. Fear of man is what initially kept him from killing John, and fear of man, as we will see, is what eventually drove him to kill John. We see this in verses 6 through 11. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before him and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. 
Having been prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given, note this, because of his oaths and because of his dinner guest. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. She brought it to her mother. What a sad, sad ending to a great life. All the time that John had been in prison, which as we've already said was about a year, Herodias had been waiting for the right opportunity to have him killed. And that opportunity presented itself on the day that Herod celebrated his birthday. Because on that day, there was a party thrown in his honor. And Herodias's daughter, whom Josephus identifies as Salome, that's, that's her name, no reason to question the historical accuracy of that. Salome entertained Herod and no doubt his drunken male guests by dancing before them, no doubt in some lewd and sensual manner. And we're told that her dancing so pleased and delighted Herod that he foolishly promised her under an oath, he probably had to take an oath because no one believed his word otherwise, but under an oath to give her whatever she wanted. In other words, Herod said, here is a blank check, Salome, just tell me what you want and it's yours. Now this is the opportunity that Herodias, her mother, had been waiting for. She is, as one Bible teacher put it, the Jezebel of the New Testament. She is a wicked, wicked woman. And because when her daughter asked her what what she should request from Herod, now her opportunity came and she said, ask for John the Baptist's head to be put on a platter. And in one gospel account, we read, she said, now, right now, So that Herod, I take it, wouldn't change his mind. I want it now. Notice what Herod's reaction was to this chilling request. In verse 9, we read that although Herod was grieved by this request, because he had probably, as I said, come to admire John the, the Baptist, no longer wanted to kill him, he commanded it to be done anyway. Why? Very important you see this. Verse 9 says, because of his oaths, so he probably made several oaths, and because of his dinner guests. You see, Herod didn't want to lose face before his dinner guests, which we learn from Mark, by the way, were his lords, his military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. In other words, Herod cared more about what his colleagues thought of him than about doing the right thing. And what was the right thing? The right thing was to denounce this stupid and foolish and wicked oath and not kill this innocent man. But but Herod was a proud man. He was a weak man, but didn't want to appear weak before others. He didn't want to lose his reputation, whatever reputation he had. And so he agreed to have John decapitated, and then his head was brought. I mean, it must have been a gruesome scene, dripping blood on a platter to Salome, who then must have picked it up and carried it over to her smiling mother. Now, keep in mind that Matthew has told us this story, not simply to inform us about John's arrest and and murder, but also to illustrate the hardness of, of the human heart towards God's truth. And so what do we learn from Herod's actions about how unbelief behaves? We learn that one of the characteristics of hardened unbelief is that it is so fearful about what other people think that it will make foolish and evil decisions in order to gain the approval of others, even if it means doing something that's obviously wrong. Herod knew it was wrong, but he still did it. 
He still did it. He had been resisting. We know that he knew it was wrong because he had been resisting killing John since the day he had arrested him. But he ordered his execution anyway. Why? Simply because he was afraid of losing the approval of his contemporaries. That's all. You know what? Herod is not alone. Herod is not alone. You may not have murdered anybody, may not have arrested anybody, but Herod isn't the only one who's ever turned away from doing what's right simply because he cared about what others thought of him. See, those who have hardened hearts towards unbelief are filled with an attitude of pride that is so fearful of what other people think about them that they will let that dictate their actions. How many people refuse to come to to Christ for salvation because they are afraid of what a family member will think of them, especially a parent or a spouse that you're afraid to lose because you're afraid that the spouse will say, hey, if you follow Jesus, I'm out of here. You lose me. They're afraid of what a family member will think of them. They're afraid of how their decision will affect their career. Maybe now they have to be ethical. They haven't been ethical and had integrity for years, but if they come to Christ, what will others think? As they say, I'm going to do what's right. Or afraid of being ridiculed and rejected by others, maybe, maybe in school, at work, relatives, peers. Afraid of looking weak and having somebody say, you're so weak, you need the emotional crutch of faith in Christ, but not me, I'm strong. And they don't want to look weak. Listen, in a world that is far too concerned about image and how other people perceive us, don't do what Herod did. Because you'll end up like Herod, lost forever. Don't do what Herod did. Don't reject the truth out of fear of people. You need to come to Christ today, even if, you know what, even if everyone laughs at you and mocks at you, because ultimately, in a million years, it won't matter. In a thousand years, it won't matter. In a hundred years, it won't matter. The only thing that, that matters is being accepted by God through faith in Christ. See, in in rejecting the truth that John proclaimed and murdering him as the messenger of Christ, Herod sealed his fate. There was no turning back because his heart eventually became so hardened to the truth that Luke, in his gospel account of the story, tells us this, Herod kept trying to see Jesus. Now, that's very interesting. Herod kept trying to see Jesus, but we read of nothing in the gospels of Jesus ever making an effort to see Herod. The first time he saw him face-to-face is, as I told you, years later when Christ has been arrested and he's brought before Herod. But the interesting thing is is that Jesus said nothing to Herod. He was silent. As one writer put it, Herod rejected Christ and Christ rejected Herod. He had nothing to say to him, nothing to say. And why did Herod end up with such a hardened heart towards Christ? Because he would do nothing about his guilty conscience that condemned him and his actions were dictated by his fears rather than by taking the right course of action. So this man has been in hell all these years and for all of eternity he can think the truth was standing before me and I mocked him. I mocked him. I killed his messenger. I mocked him. I silenced my guilty conscience. I did what people wanted me to do to save face rather than what was right. And he is forever and ever and ever to think about that. But you don't have to follow Herod's path. 
you can do something about a guilty conscience and fearful pride. If you don't know Christ, you need to humble yourself by seeking God's forgiveness through repentance and faith in Christ. It, it really doesn't matter, as I said before, what others think about you. When eternity begins, it means nothing at all. The only thing that matters is what God thinks about you. Are you in his son, kept from his wrath, or are you an object of his wrath? Now, Matthew closes his section by giving us a very touching scene of John's disciples carrying his body, giving it a proper Jewish burial, and then reporting the news of John's death to Jesus. Verses 12 and then the beginning of verse 13. His disciples came, so John still had some disciples. His disciples came and took away the body and buried it. It means they gave it a proper Jewish burial. And they went and reported to Jesus. Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. Upon hearing the news of John's death, Jesus knew that the time had had come for him to withdraw from the public's eye in order to prepare his disciples to face a hostile world that would actually end up killing most of them too. If you're a believer in Christ, then you need to be prepared to face suffering as well. In our culture, physical suffering, persecution has not come yet. I'm, I'm sure it will come eventually. Standing for the truth cost John the Baptist his life, and it may cost you your life as well. It may cost me my life. But this is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. This is what Jesus meant when he said, you have to pick up your cross and, and carry it. He didn't mean put a little chain around your neck. I mean, it's your choice if you want to do that, but he didn't mean that. He didn't mean that you have a difficulty in life to bear. He meant just like he did, you pick up your cross and you take it to a place where they crucify you on that cross. You meant dying. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Even if you don't die for him, it means you are willing to die, willing to follow him regardless of the cost or consequences. I hope that's true of you. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. John the Baptist has given us a great example of being one who followed the Messiah. We need to follow in his footsteps. Let's bow for prayer. If you have never trusted the Savior, do it. Do it before your conscience can no longer be heard. If your conscience accuses you, don't, don't drown it out. Don't neglect it. God has placed that within you for your own good. It is a moral monitor accusing you of violating God's moral standards. And you need to respond to that. And the only way to respond properly is to trust the Savior. Trust the Savior, because in trusting him, God forgives you because Christ has already paid the full penalty of sin. I urge you to do that before it's too late. Father, thank you for this very fascinating, interesting, somewhat gruesome, grisly narrative in Scripture. Lord, we thank you for John the Baptist. We thank you, and we're saddened, though, that this... Thankful for this man's life, saddened that he died such a a cruel death. To us, it's simply a story we read about, but to him, it was reality. His heart beating faster, that blade being put on his neck, severing his head from his body. Lord, what torture. But I thank you for this great man, and I pray, Lord, that his life will impact us, that we will stand for the truth like he did, regardless of the cost. And when it's our time to die, 
Lord, as believers, we know that your grace will be sufficient. We thank you for that. Lord, we pray for those who, like uh, Herod, have had their conscience cry out, but they have silenced it so far. We pray that, Lord, they have not silenced it to the point that they'll never hear it again. We pray that those who are under conviction of sin will be brought to yourself, that you'll open their hearts, that you'll quicken them, that you will bring them out of spiritual death to life in Christ. So, Lord, we pray that you will help all of us, whether unbeliever or believer, to not let the fear of man dictate our behavior. May the fear of the Lord and the desire to please you dictate what we do. And Lord, we all struggle with it. We all want people to like us. We all want to be thought of in a positive way. Help us, though, as believers to die to that, to say, no, we won't give in to that temptation. So we ask you to take your word and help us, Lord, not only to apply it to our lives, but to implement it in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been good to have such a large class for Pastor Steve's verse-by-verse explanation of Scripture as it has unfolded and taught us many profitable lessons. We are making our final offer of Steve's recently released book, Timeless Truths from a Faithful Shepherd, free to anyone who sends a contribution to Verse-by-Verse Ministries. To send a gift by mail, the address is Verse-by-Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida. 33758. That's P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida 33758. Our website where you can listen to this and many more classes free of charge is versebyverseradio.org. You can also make a donation online. Just click on the Support Us tab. And our phone number is 727-239-0300. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.